0: Thank you, Seth. morning, everybody. Morning. Well, so, such a privilege to see all of y'all's wonderful faces and to be here this morning. Uh, very thankful to be able to be here and um, uh, definitely thankful for God's word, thankful for a wonderful time of worship together. Um, let's pray again one more time before I begin um, the sermon. Lord, thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for this beautiful morning. Lord, thank you most of all for your son Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who sacrificed himself to save his people. Uh, Lord, we we owe you so very much, Lord, and we can never pay that back. But Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy towards us as your people. Uh, Lord, just please help me this morning to be faithful to your word. Uh, Lord help me to not say anything that does not need to be said. Uh, Thank you, Father, for my brothers and sisters in the body this morning. Uh, Lord, just please bless all of us this morning and bless our time together and help us to be doers of your word and not just hearers only, including myself. We thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, good morning, everybody. We are definitely in John, probably will be for a while, so just hang in there. But John's a beautiful, beautiful book of the Bible. All, all of God's Word is. Um, this morning, if I could title the sermon, I would call it, What Do You Seek? What Do You Seek? Um, we are, like I said, in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. And from this passage this morning, I believe we're get, we actually get a glimpse at what is true biblical evangelism. We, we, we get to see that. We see the, how, how God's Word takes root in our heart, how the Lord causes His Word to take root in our heart. But we also see the results in the fruit of God's Word in our heart and in our life, which is in turn sharing that glorious gospel with others. And we see that here in this passage. And there are three questions that I'm going to ask this morning based upon this passage. Uh, The first question is, are we pointing others to Christ? Are we preaching the gospel like John the Baptist and John the Apostle did? So we see that in verse 36 when when it says, And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now that phrase and that message is actually repeated a couple different times in this general um, text, not once here in this text, but we also see it before, um, as we saw in our previous sermon uh, in verse 29. So he's repeating this message, and whenever you see a message repeated in Scripture, kind of important. I want to pay attention to it. So we see it repeated, and of course, one of the first steps in biblical evangelism is to share the gospel of Christ with our listeners. Because it's the gospel that is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, Romans 1.16 1, says. Sadly, though, the presentation of the true gospel of Christ is not always given in modern evangelism. So you all know that I'm a stats guy. I like stats. They're great. Um, And there is a particular survey, I've quoted from it before, but I'll share it again. Uh, This is called the State of Theology Survey. Uh, It's produced and uh, conducted by Lignier Ministries. Um, Usually, uh, they conduct conduct the survey every two years. Now, they don't have the, I just checked this morning, uh, they don't have the latest 2022 data, data up yet. But we do have the 2020 data. data. Maybe I can talk this morning. Um, And of course, they ask 35 questions. Each is a true or false statement designed to test the theological health of the modern evangelical church. Um, I underline that word modern evangelical because that's that's the demographic they target. Uh, they specifically choose 3,002 male and female respondents within the supposed evangelical Orthodox Church. So one of the questions that they ask, and it, of course it is indeed true or false, and it should, this question should be, yes, it is a test question, but it should be very, very apparent. What the answer should be, and by the way, there was no unsure with this question. Normally, with some questions, you'll have 10% unsure or whatever. Uh, that was not the case with this question. It was a plain, simple yes, no, agree, disagree. Question was: It is very important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. I'll read that again. It is very important for me personally to encourage non Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, that should be a pretty easy, absolutely yes, 100%. That's the whole point of preaching. That's the whole point of sharing the gospel and evangelizing with folks, is so that people know the truth. Because we live in a society that is very relativistic, very secular. Um, and, as a, of course, as a hospice chaplain, I get to go into a, a lot of homes. I get to meet and visit with a lot of folks. And unfortunately, I, I see some, some bad theological health in some folks' lives, and we're about to see that in the results here to this question. So the responses to, the, to that question were that 46% so just under half said false or they disagreed with that statement. While only 54% of the respondents said, absolutely, yes, I agree, that's important. 46%, just a little bit under half of all those 3,002 people said, no, it's not very important for me to share the good news of the gospel about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with those who are unsaved. Almost half. That's a very, very heartbreaking statistic. Because as we see, even in Romans 10, 14, how will they hear if they don't have a preacher? And as, as we saw earlier, it's the gospel that's the power of God For salvation to all who would believe. The gospel is of absolute importance. Both getting it right and sharing the gospel is very, very important. Uh, Just yesterday, um, I got in the mail uh, a Southern Seminary magazine, which they have some very interesting articles in there. Uh, One of them is an article by Dr. Albert Moeller, uh, titled, The Changing Face of Apologetics in a Secular Age. And in this article, I'm going to actually quote his article two different times. The first time here, he's, he's actually um, sharing from a Christian, um, you know, I, it's, it seems like a very sound uh, theologian and sociologist named Peter Berger, and according to this quote here, um, quoting Dr. Berger, or Mr. Berger, um, and Dr. Mueller quoting him, says here, In the U.S., and even in evangelical life, according to Berger, secularization works internally. Rather than, rather than taking the Christian faith as a whole package, evangelicals typically choose which doctrines they want to believe and which they don't the same person may choose to affirm both the bodily resurrection of Christ and gay marriage. Confessing both doctrines feels life-giving, so the gerrymandered logic used to cobble them together goes unnoticed. After all, belief is a matter of choice. And unfortunately, that's very, very true. I've seen that happen. I just recently talked to somebody not too long ago who um, we were talking about a particular cultural, social issue. And uh, this person basically said that they, did, that they did not like how the Apostle Paul dealt with this cultural issue. And that they didn't, that they didn't like Paul's writings And that they felt that Paul was not on the path the Lord had for him. So they basically wanted to just cast out everything that he wrote in the New Testament, essentially. And that was here in Alabama, just recently. And that's not the only person I've ever heard say something that was kind of not biblical. So the sad truth is, we need to get the gospel right. We need to know what the gospel is and we need to be willing to share that with others. I had to lovingly share with them that we see in Scripture that Peter equates Paul's writings as Scripture. They are Scripture. So whether they're hard to understand or not, hard to accept or not, we have to trust in the entirety of Scripture. Scripture. We don't get to pick and choose what we like and don't like. That's not how it works. That's not how biblical hermeneutics works, the process of biblical interpretation. And that's not how sound exegesis, the drawing out from a passage, what the, in, the intended author intended for the audience to hear. That's not how that works. That's a very secular view of Scripture. Just, and it's basically doing just like the sociologist said that most today do. And it's obvious because like the, like the statistic, only 54% of the respondents said, yeah, it's important that we share the gospel. Almost half of them said, nah, nah, it's not important. Not important at all. That's heartbreaking. My response to these individuals and our response should be, Is that how are the lost supposed to hear the only solution for their sin if we don't preach the only hope and one mediator between God and man? How are they going to hear, like Romans said, if there's not a preacher? And how will they hear the good news? Because I've got some, some news for folks. We have a major problem. All of humanity does. And that major problem is our sin. They need to hear the gospel. And of course, John the Baptist was not afraid at all to declare that, neither was John the Apostle, and we shouldn't be either. Jesus' identity as the Lamb of God, that sacrificial lamb, the sacrificial savior sent for His people, yet also sovereign sacrificial savior, is reemphasized here in verse 36, just as, it is, as it's declared in verse 29. The goal of both John the Baptist and the Apostle John and us today should be to point others towards the preeminence and the centrality of Jesus Christ and not to to ourselves. If we look at at this entire chapter and really the entire book of John, we see a, a repeated message and repeated theme of directing the attention of others towards Jesus Christ. You know, this is, the, as, as Seth was saying earlier, uh, this is the third day that John the Apostle is sharing from the ministry of John the Baptist. And, and of course, we believe that that's because John, John the Apostle was one of those two disciples that were there. That's how he knows. He remembers the day. He remembers what was said. He remembers the account. He remembers all these things. And he's sharing these things with the church then and today. And their whole goal was to point others towards Jesus. When, when, when John the Baptist saw Jesus walking through and walking past on this day, what was John the Baptist's response? Behold the Lamb of God. And as he says earlier in the text, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was pointing on this day out to his disciples. You need to follow him, not me. He's the one you're looking for, not me. His theology of humility and the the theology that we need to hold to also is summed up well in the statement of John the Baptist in John chapter 3, verse 30, when he says, He must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, and I must decrease. Now that goes very contrary to to modern society, because modern secular society is very narcissistic and very self-centered and self-oriented. It's, it's my truth, man. I mean, you know, this is my truth, so I'm going to hold to my truth. You can have your truth, but don't, don't mess with my truth because this is mine. I have the right to believe the way I want to. Or if you want to do your own thing, that's fine, but don't trample on me because, you know, no, no, I, I, you know, I want to live my life the way I want to live. Or I don't like Paul's writings, so I don't want to listen to those. The centrality of Christ as our Lord and our embracing of Christ as the Lamb of God who gave His perfect, innocent life for our sins must be the preeminent thought and desire of our heart and our life. He must be sovereign. He must be both our sovereign Savior and our Lord. And the Greek, that's the word for that is Kyrios with a capital K. He must be our Lord and our God. When Thomas sees the resurrected Christ and he says, my Lord and my God, in Greek, there's just a, uh, just a little Greek lesson here. He says in the Greek, if I remember this correctly, ha theosmu kai ha theosmu, my Lord and my God. So you don't have to remember that for a test or anything, but, you know, it's just a, just random there. But we have to hold to him as our Savior and our Lord, who is exalted daily in our lives. Practically, this is done through uh, daily reading and meditation upon God's Word, prayer, spending time with the Lord in prayer, praying through God's Word, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing, a uh, wonderful discipline to be doing, listening to those who preach Christ as our Supreme Lord and Savior, Spending time with our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ and daily loving and ministering to others around us in the the name of Christ. Unashamedly sharing the gospel with the lost. Teaching them the truth of Christ from God's word as is presented in God's word. Not changed. Second question that I would like to ask this morning. And this actually goes with the title of the sermon. What are we seeking? What are we seeking? In the evangelistic process, in the process of hearing God's Word, this is the process, or this is the point where the Lord is working through His Word during its presentation and afterwards to draw the person to himself, to, to cause them to be regenerated, to be, to, to be able to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because according to God's word in Ephesians chapter 2, before we were saved, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now I've got news for you. A dead person can't do anything. They're passed on. They're not there. Their body is just, it's a shell there. They're helpless to do anything for themselves. That's the way we were before the Lord saved us. He had to give us life and give us that gift of faith, even just to be able to believe, to listen. He causes the word, his word, to take root in our heart and to regenerate us, to give us life. Now, we see here when the disciples of John the Baptist heard John declare the the identity of Christ, it says they followed him. And we see implied within that text An immediate following. It doesn't, it doesn't say anything about them hesitating or wavering or going, I don't know. We, we've been following you for a while. Are you sure? No, it, it just says that and that they followed Jesus. They followed after him. Now, you may be wondering, wait a minute, but I, I thought there were other times in the other gospels to where it says that they were mending their nets. they were working, they're catching fish when the Lord called them. That's absolutely true. Once again, when we study God's Word in its entirety, we get a full picture of what's going on. This account here must take place before the mending of the net somehow. Uh, This is most likely the very beginning when they start to see Jesus for who He truly is and to start to, to be willing to follow Him as their teacher. And then later on, because all this is taking place in Galilee, um, a town to where there was multiple opportunities to minister to both the Jewish people and Gentiles. It was an area of great commerce. So they would be doing their job, but we know from from Scripture, from from the other Gospels, that there does come a time when the Lord does come through and call them and say, all right, come follow me. And they do it immediately. They leave everything else behind. And they leave John the Baptist behind too in this passage to follow after Jesus. But they're doing that because he basically told them to. He was the one that said, behold, the Lamb of God, follow him. Essential to follow him part. So they follow after Jesus. And according to, the, to Dr. John MacArthur's Bible commentary, the standard meaning of the word follow in this, in this gospel primarily means to follow as a teacher. And now, it could also mean that they were starting to follow after him to inquire more about him, to, to find out more. to, 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 to um, They're being inquisitive. They're wanting to find out, okay... Who is this Jesus, this this Lamb of God? Either way, they will follow Him. And they do. And they they will begin to follow Jesus as their teacher. They were willing to leave everything that they had known to follow after Christ. Are we willing to do the same thing? What are we willing to give up? What good things, not that they're bad or evil, but what good things are we willing to forsake at times to glorify Christ for what He's done for us? Essentially, what do we seek? What are we seeking? What is our greatest joy? When these two disciples, Andrew and most likely John, Follow Jesus. His question to them was, what are you seeking? Their response was to see where he was staying. To which he told them, come and you will see. Once again, they hear the call of God. They hear the Savior tell them something, tell them to do something, and they follow. The Lord's working in their hearts, drawing them to himself, and that's exactly what he does for us. This quote here, uh, the second quote I want to use from the same article in Southern Seminary Magazine by Dr. Muller, says here, we know there is no way to break through the defenses of a rebellious heart, even with the most ingenious argument, until something happens inside that heart, which can only come by the sovereign power of God. For this reason, we affirm that the preaching of the Word of God is the primary means of grace by which God, by the Holy Spirit, reaches into into dead human hearts, bringing regeneration, quickening, illumination, awakening. It's the gospel of Christ applied to our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit to His people. We see that the disciples... We see that same process taking place in these disciples. And they followed after Jesus. They followed and they obeyed their master's call. And, the, and we need to ask ourselves, are we, willing, are we doing that today? Are we willing to do that? The call to surrender every aspect of our lives to Christ and to go and make further disciples of Christ out of others. And that's, that can be a tough call to answer. It really can be. It's not an easy one to answer. Um, As a chaplain, it can be a difficult challenge to, in a very careful way, share the gospel with folks. But I feel like that my responsibility is to make sure that they do hear the gospel somehow from me. Because there have been times before where I've gone to see somebody one morning and by the afternoon of the same day they've already passed on. We don't know. Only the Lord knows. But we, we have to be willing to share the gospel while we have the opportunity because we're not promised tomorrow. may not even be promised later on this afternoon. So we need to be very careful about that and be very intentional about how we share the true gospel with those around us. The final question I want to ask today is, are we actively leading others to Christ? Are we evangelizing those close to us? As we see in verses 40 through 42, Andrew, one of John's disciples, one of the ones that followed after Christ, after they had gone to the house or to, to, to the place where Jesus was staying, According to, to most notes, it was about 4 p.m. in the afternoon. So starting to get a little bit late, um, they felt led to go talk to Jesus more, find out more about Him. <clears throat> and they knew, hey, it's getting late in the afternoon. Let's just go and stay with Him. Talk to Him. Spend time with Him. Inquire from Him. They did. And it doesn't say what exactly Jesus told them, but whatever He did say, had a major impact on their hearts and their life. Because after this, Andrew went and found his brother, one of those closest to him. And he told him, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Christ. We have found the Savior that we were promised in the Old Testament. The one we've been looking for, we have found him. Come and see. Come on. I want I want to take you to him. And he does. This is what evangelism looks like practically. We are regenerate, we are regenerated, justified and redeemed by Christ, and we're called by Christ to further share the good news of our redemption through the blood of Christ to others. That's evangelism. It doesn't always it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be uh, some kind of advanced system of, of theological arguments perfectly put together, dealing with the, uh, the ontological argument and the teleological argument and the moral argument. We don't have to, I mean, yes, it's helpful to know those things. And with some folks, it's very helpful to know those, to know those things. But essentially, at its foundation, evangelism is primarily please. Let me tell you what the Lord has done to me. He has regenerated me. He saved me, a sinful traitor, someone who did not deserve His grace. He saved me anyway, and, he's, and, he, and he, he loves me despite, despite the fact that I am unlovable and should be. But He willingly chose to come and save me, and He will do that for you. Please let me, lead, let me show you Christ. Let me show you the Messiah that you are so deeply longing for or that you deeply need. Are we testifying of Christ to others around us, making those disciples? When Simon was brought to to Christ, we see something interesting happen in verse 42. We see that Jesus gave him a new name. It says here in verse 42... He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. That's what he's done for us. He's called us to himself and he's given us a new name, a new identity. As Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, when we are saved, when we are in Christ... We are a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new again, or have become new. Our old self and our old desire should be gone. Now, every once in a while, I know they're going to try to peek back up again. They do. It's just part of living in a fallen world with a fallen fleshly body. And that's why we have to wage war on the flesh each day as Scripture tells us to. But ultimately, ultimately, in our heart, in our mind, in our lives, we're a new creation. We're not the same people we used to be. As believers, we have been buried with Christ through baptism in His blood, bringing death to our old natures, and we have been raised to walk through Christ in newness of life, as Romans 6, 3 through 4 talks about. Our identity, our value, our salvation are found in Christ alone. By the precious and perfect blood of Christ, we are no longer under the guilt of sin, but we are redeemed in Christ. And like I said, we have that new, new nature, that new name, that new identity. We see that with, with Peter. And he does that for all of us, for all of his people. And what a wonderful blessing that is to no longer be who we used to be before the Lord saved us, before the Lord got a hold of us. But the thing is, people need to know about what the Lord has done for us. They need to know that we have found the Messiah. So, because of that, we need to be sharing with them and telling them, behold, the Lamb of God. This is the one that we've been waiting for. This is the one that you need. Like I said, we live in a very secular society and so many things are Variable in society, like Brother Butch was talking about earlier, like he shared about from, uh, from Dr. Begg. And unfortunately, the truth is, we, you know, there so many people, even in this area, which we would think about being the Bible Belt, basically, <clears throat> they're, they're lacking in theological health. They really are. Now, ultimately, that is their responsibility. But we also need to share the gospel with them, so that they will know, so they will know the good news. And when the, and if you ever find somebody that says, "Well, I don't know if I don't like this or that," we need to lovingly but unashamedly tell them, "This is not how we hold the Scripture. We have to hold to all of it." God has given us all 66 books for our edification so that we will know exactly who our Lord and Savior is. So so we will see from the Old Testament to the New Testament how Christ is the perfect fulfillment of all of His Word because it is indeed His Word. So just to recap, the three three things that I want us to remember this morning. Our primary goal as believers, or one of our primary goals, as believers and ambassadors for our King in this world, is to share the glorious good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, unashamedly, while we have the opportunity. This is what John the Baptist and John the Apostle did, and we are to, Copy that example in our lives too, as the Lord allows us to, by His grace, through His strength. As believers, we must constantly be assessing the motives of our heart through the lens of God's Word, asking both ourselves and those around us, What are we seeking? What are you seeking? Finally, we need to realize and remember that evangelism is not some super-specialized process that involves complex theological strategies to be effective. It is fundamentally sharing with those closest to us and those around us that we have found the Messiah. Behold the Lamb of God. Now we've, I know we've had classes before on evangelism, and maybe we can have another class on that. Again soon, but like I said, it's it's scripturally, it's fundamentally sharing that we have found the Messiah. And this is what he's done for a sinful traitor like me. And he'll do it for you if you'll trust in him and surrender to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace to us as your people. Lord, we don't deserve that grace and mercy. We are so needy of you. We are contingent upon you for every breath we breathe. And Lord, we see both from these statistics, from, from our own personal experience and interactions with others, we see the lack of, of biblical theological health in our society. And it's a very serious problem. But Lord, we also know that nothing, no argument we make will fix the problem. No amount of skill and rhetoric will fix the problem. The solution to the problem of sin in our hearts, the only solution is your Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Lord, help us to preach boldly, unashamedly, and lovingly the message, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in reference to your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you, Father. Thank you for this time together this morning. And just please bless the remainder of it, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.